Cannabis Business Minds, we train and mentor professionals, entrepreneurs, and aspiring entrepreneurs on how to confidently find their place in the legal cannabis and hemp industries. Come on and join us at CannabisBusinessMinds.com. I'm excited to get you on because I think that I'm, as a CPA, I get insurance, but I, I've had to learn it. And it's not something that naturally comes to, I think, a lot of entrepreneurs. And now I think as, and I'm, I'm very excited to get your opinion on it, but as more states have legalized, the risk tolerance for insurance companies seems a little bit lower in the sense that there's, it's easier to get insurance. And so I'm hoping that we can just spend some time de- debunking some myths that happen in that we think about in insurance, but also just, yeah. we can even start at a high level about thinking about like, what is cannabis insurance? Because it's so much more than like, oh, I'm going to get a policy for my business. It's like, there's multiple layers of insurance to cover multiple risks. And so can you just give us a deep dive into what we should even be thinking at the very beginning? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, would it be helpful if I just provided a, a quick introduction and then and delve into it or just dive right into it? Let's dive right in. And then I'll I'll guide you through the questions if I feel like there's something that we need to go yeah, over yeah, a little bit. No, I mean, as it relates to like cannabis insurance specifically, like honestly, the policies are very similar to any other industry, right? If you have a general liability policy, a property policy, mm-hmm. product liability, directors and officers insurance, so on and so forth. However, the application is just different, right? You know, yeah. when you're thinking about cannabis, the nature of it being, you know, federally illegal in the United States specifically, however, legal, depending on the state jurisdiction, yeah. it just has a, a lot of nuances from a regulatory perspective, which impacts Coverages like directors and officers insurance, where mm-hmm. you're covering the C-suite executives and board members for claims made by particularly outside shareholders or any sort of regulatory proceedings made against the actual company itself. So from that perspective, there's just a larger exposure on the regulatory side of things that impacts pricing on directors and officers insurance. But any you know venture backed business or any company that's taken on outside capital that's private or mm-hmm. for companies that go public it's mm-hmm. it's even more important um you know it's still directors and officers insurance right it's just more like the application of it and given the regulatory framework around cannabis mm-hmm. is where it's challenging right and you know similar to property insurance right you know you have coverage for a building as well as your business personal property the contents that are in there, machinery, equipment, right? However, you know, where where I would say property insurance for cannabis is nuanced is on the crop side. Um, So like you can get coverage for, and they have like tiered rating basis, depending on the, where the plant is during its life cycle, right? So obviously like finished stock is going to carry a greater value Mm -hmm. than, a plant that was just put in the ground, right? Like in the event of a fire, the replacement costs of something that hasn't, um, you know, fostered any product or gone through the entire cycle and turned into finished product, you know, that's going to be less costly to replace than, you know, uh, ready for harvest, like exactly lab tested, ready for sale. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So like, those are the sort of like nuances and, and also, um, from a like 
in like interstate commerce too. Obviously yeah. you can't, you know, transport across state lines within the US. So uh things like inland marine, which is like property in transit, mm-hmm. um, is is interesting as well um for, for companies and making sure that you know it's staying within state lines and that our clients are adhering to the guidelines within policies. I think like that's really important as well as like you can have the different types of coverage, but you really need to look at all right, what are the endorsements, amendments, or exclusions on these policies, right? Like I can have coverage for burglary or theft as a dispensary, but if I'm not storing my product appropriately at the end of each day and there's a claim that happens, it could give the carrier grounds to deny claim because you're not abiding by the safeguard requirements that are in policy. So I think it's also important to note that like insurance is not a crutch, right? It's basically mm-hmm. like, Okay, we're we're trying to do everything the right way, but you know, stuff happens, right? And there's negligence and also like outside factors that can impact your business. And so insurance is for unforeseen instances in the event that you're taking all the proper measures to mitigate risk. Right? Yeah. And so that's what I would say too is like insurance is not a crutch. You can't say like, oh, I have you know a property policy, so I could store all my goods improperly and I can, you know, really if something happens and there's a theft coverage or a fire and I don't have like fire extinguishers that have been properly serviced, it doesn't matter because I have a property policy. Like that's not going to be the case. And so what I would say is that, you know, insurance in general is like one form of risk management mm-hmm. in the form of like risk transfer. So you're saying I'm willing to offset this potential exposure and I'm willing to pay this amount of premium, but there's a lot of different elements of risk management that go in for any business, but in particular with cannabis, um, there are a lot of different safeguards and policies and procedures you have to have in place in order for your coverage to actually react. And as part of that, this is like so great and it's perfectly where I want to go because even what you explained, I think for many listeners, if they're just starting out and maybe they're thinking about getting into going for a capital raise or getting some investor back. Like before I started entrepreneurship from corporate, I had no idea about the nuances that there's multiple layers of insurance. Like there's DNO, there's product liability, there's general, there's property. And even just to, just to like spell it out to everybody, like there are a lot of insurance policies. Like you can't just get a general and you can actually, you can correct. Like you could, because it's the regulation that dictates it. It just might not be the smartest if you got a general liability policy, because you'd be exposing your business to to a lot of risks. Tell me, tell me your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, policies, it's interesting. So like the way that policies are structured is Mm -hmm. they bridge the gaps with one another, right? So like, for instance, you know, general liability is going to be for third-party bodily injury or property damage. Mm -hmm. However, it's not going to cover for like a failure in your professional services, right? And so like with Mm -hmm. a GL policy, there may be a professional services exclusion. However, that's why you get a professional liability or an errors and omissions policy. So they all have very different intents. And I think that's really important to understand. Okay. Like I have this policy, what is it intended to cover and what type of claims would trigger this policy? And when we look at an insured, right, we take a very customized approach and try to like diagnose each company based Mm -hmm. off of their 
specific parameters, right? Do you operate in multiple states? Like, you know, do you have remote employees? Like what type of, you know, workforce do you have? Um, do you do manufacturing, cultivation, retail? It's just trying to understand yeah. really the full scope of their operations. And then what we do is, okay, based off of your operations, these are the different policies that we would recommend. Based mm-hmm. off the size of your business, these are the limits that we would recommend, right? Because a company that's doing $50 million in revenue, right? And has, you know, vape products, mm-hmm. that's a higher exposure should probably have a higher than a million dollars in product liability, right? So those sort of conversations are what we're like constantly having is like, okay, these are the policies that are applicable, but at what limits make the most sense? What are you most worried about? What are your biggest priorities, right? Mm-hmm. Some people are like, you know, my board members are really concerned because they come from a more traditional industry and, you know, cannabis, you know, is is something that they're not as familiar with. And so they want really high directors and officers insurance limits, right? And mm-hmm. everybody has a very different risk appetite. Some people yeah. are risk averse and some people are like, I don't really believe in insurance. Yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> You know, I, th- I think it's I think it's taking a very customized approach, providing the appropriate guidance, best practices, and then okay, these are best practices. But we also understand that you're a business owner; you have to contemplate cash flow. Yeah. You understand insurance is an expense that you know is for catastrophic losses that you hope that you really don't have to tap into, and you don't want to overpay for something that you know is 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 really intended for you know, certain circumstances, right? You'd rather like, okay, maybe we don't want to spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on insurance because we, you know, you need that for capital injection to grow your business. So like what makes sense for you from a cost perspective? And then we try to like back in and structure the program so that they have what they need, right? And everybody could always purchase higher limits, right? Always. I think that's the thing is like, you can always over-insure and it's finding that balance of cash flow. And then with a lot of, I mean, depends on what type like officers, like director and officers, that's not going to be the same. Like if you have product liability from a 280E perspective, you can allocate that over to inventory. But from some of them, it's like you're, you're actually not able to take any federal tax deduction. So it's a very interesting dynamic. And I think that's always been the struggle. And I'm glad that you're kind of giving insights. Like you almost just have to really assess specific variables of like, does this make a financially sound decision with it? I mean, it's for directors and officers, it seems like that's really, if it's venture backed, if it's, if, if it's like you said, public plans to plans to go public, any other, because a lot of our businesses are probably they're under the 50 million mark that I think are listening here are really, you know, hovering around maybe 10 million revenue, 15 million revenue. And so I think a lot of this stuff might feel like, oh my God, should I get that? Can you explain at what threshold of area, like business size in terms of revenue, but also in terms of where they are perhaps in their life cycle, what insurance makes the most sense? Just a, a jumping off point. 
Yeah, it, it's the uh, the age old word of like it, it really depends. Um, you know, yeah. like for a company that's like an asset light brand, right? Mm-hmm. Like they may really not have a ton of infrastructure, and they just want to have you know basic general liability, product liability, because at the end of the day, like their brand is what the consumer is experiencing, whether they know it's from a third party manufacturer and and they're not actually. Um, you know, the one producing the end product, mm-hmm. right? You still need, you know, your own risk risk management, right? Yeah. Um, versus a company that's vertically integrated and has multiple locations and has cultivation, manufacturing, distribution, retail, right? It's it's very different. Um, and so like that's why I would say like we take a very customized approach yeah. depending on the specific business model, what their needs are. And also what's really interesting too is like there's different carriers for different sizes of businesses. So like a company that has one dispensary, maybe we're not going to pair them with the same type of insurance company that, Mm. you know, would focus more on like mid-market type clients that have, you know, 10 plus locations and maybe cultivation as well. Right. So each carrier has their own little niche as well um, of where they want to, service the industry because if everybody's trying to compete simultaneously on every single line of coverage for every single business mm-hmm. it's just going to make it really challenging so what carriers try to do is carve out their own little niche and focus on certain that. areas and be more competitive in that area maybe sacrifice a little bit for you know other types of business models but in terms of like the basic coverage lines you know general liability workers compensation in most you know states like us and even internationally mm-hmm. are going to require that you have workers comp for any sort mm-hmm. of w2 employees um another key coverage that is really important and mm-hmm. you know typically gets overlooked is like employment practices liability so things like hr insurance so coverage for excuse me coverage for Claims like racial discrimination, sexual harassment in the workplace, unfair, you know, firing, wage discrimination, all of those sort of things that are, you know, much more apparent in this mm-hmm. day and age. Mm-hmm. Um, very important for companies as they scale. Typically, we recommend that for companies that scale beyond 10 to 15 employees, because now you're bringing on, you know, additional employees. You have less immediate control, right, yeah. over the environment. There's a lot more variables. So typically when companies scale beyond 15 employees is when we'd recommend that. Um, and that's typically paired with directors and officers insurance because they're both management liability type policies. So okay. they're ensuring the management level of the organization. Um, and then DNO, we normally recommend like if a company's raised institutional capital outside um, investors normally north of like a million dollars okay. for private organizations and then public, it's much more of an exposure from a public perspective because mm-hmm. now you are invoking additional regulatory framework, right? You have SEC compliance. Yeah. You're also exposed to, you know, less sophisticated investors, right? So like when you're raising private, you know, friends and family or institutional capital or high net worth individuals, more sophisticated investors, right? Versus retail where they can purchase your stock on an exchange. It's just different. Um, Mm -hmm. And so 
those are just some like baseline coverages. And then obviously property insurance for anybody that has physical assets, whether they yeah. own the building or maybe have it through a triple net lease, um, as well as like any contents. I like to say, you know, if you took the building and flipped it upside down and everything fell out, you know, what's the the value of that? And, you know, what like portion of that do you own as a business and what's your insurable interest? Yeah. Um, oh, this is great. And are there any areas... Because I, I remember like several yeah. years ago, there was a lot that still would be not insured. Like if there was a fire, I'd be assuming that people are maintaining a good control environment. They've got SOPs, they're compliant, yeah. they're doing everything that they said that they were going to do. But are there areas that still really insurers are unlikely to insure that you would assume when it's federally illegal, legal, that yeah. they would insure? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um Honestly, less about the legal nature of it. It's okay. more like where we've seen challenges, like outdoor crop, yeah, um, in specific areas. So, like outdoor crop coverage is really challenging for like marijuana specifically, like hemp farms. We can do outdoor, uh, but even so, like that's still a little challenging. Where we can get coverage for outdoor operators is via like a it's called a parametric vehicle. So. Oh you're insuring for a specific type of peril. So like, let's say you wanted to get coverage for frost, for outdoor um, crop, right? Depending on the time of year that you're purchasing that for, right? You know, if you're trying to get frost insurance for an outdoor grow in Michigan and you're trying to get the coverage time period as, you know, January, February, like that's going to be really yeah. challenging, right? Really expensive. So um, there are like, and you can get maybe for like coverage for like named storm, but it also just depends on like where, where the businesses are, right? Like getting coverage for like mm-hmm. wildfires is really, really challenging in Northern California. And I would say like, that's going to go for any sort of agricultural business, not just cannabis, right? Mm-hmm. You know, property coverage for Florida operators and right, like Hurricane Ian, and yeah. you know, it's like tragic what it, it did to a lot of parts of Florida. But you know, outdoor and property for named storm in Florida mm-hmm. in general is really challenging. Let alone you know cannabis. So there's a lot of like factors I think that are outside the the scope of cannabis per se, I would say the, the biggest challenge is like a lot of the guidelines and parameters that they need to stick to in order to qualify for coverage. Like your inventory has to be stored in a certain way. You have to have Mm -hmm. X, Y, Z type of vault, like Mm -hmm. all of these different boxes that they need to check in order to get coverage in the event of a claim. Um, and it really just like comes down to having a, a trusted, you know, broker and resource that understands the policy language is very transparent, provides like, hey, this is where coverage is going to react and this is where it's not. Um, Because like I said, like insurance is not a crutch. It's not meant to be the end all be all. Mm-hmm. Um, and another another area where we get questions is like crop failure or if mm-hmm. it tests hot um, Ooh, or, yes. specifically, or if it tests for like bacteria and they need to destroy the crop that's more like business risk and really hard to like properly underwrite. Cause that would honestly be. Well, that's contracts almost, right? Like you should almost, yeah. cause it goes with testing. It reminds me, right. So if I 
per, if I'm a manufacturer, I purchase from you a ton, whatever, like a hundred pounds. And then I find out later on that it, it, it was faulty. I couldn't pass lab testing. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that owners really just be on business that I should have done a sample test. It should have been in the contract. Like would, I wouldn't even imagine insurance would cover that. Exactly. I mean, we, we do get that, you know, question often. Yeah. Um, And it also comes down to like the acumen of like the cultivator, right? Like how, like Mm -hmm. how do you, you know, how do you properly underwrite? Yeah that like, oh, your, your cultivation procedures, you know, are X, Y, Z, and you have this like type of track record. It's more challenging, I think, for carriers to get their head around that piece of it. Um, Which makes sense that maybe they would go niche, like you mentioned. And I'm curious, like how many carriers there are in the ecosystem, but you're right. Like there's such a big learning curve. If you've never known anything about cannabis, then if you actually really want to insure a business, you really have to understand the ins and outs and cultivation manufacturing. They are different than traditional traditional agriculture manufacturing. So is that why also businesses, insurance, um, you know, brokers actually go niche besides that, just to have that level of expertise? Yeah, I mean, yeah, no. Um, are you saying on the on the carrier side? Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Like, actually, most of the markets that are within the cannabis space are what's called like MGAs. So mm-hmm. it's a managing general agent, and okay. it's essentially like a bespoke group of individuals with you know specific product expertise or industry expertise. And a lot of times, these larger insurance companies they don't have the acumen in-house to build out maybe their own cannabis DNO product, right? So what they'll do is an MGA, um, and we actually have like an in-house MGA uh, that we have, you know, we're the only uh, retail broker that has access is called scale underwriting, but all of their policies are actually backed by either Trishura Specialty or United Specialty Insurance Company. But when you see the quote, it's a scale underwriting. However, mm-hmm. the policy is actually backed by those larger insurance companies. And in the event of a claim, mm-hmm. it hits the insurance company's balance sheet, not the MGA. However, oh, what happens is, is like the insurance company say, okay, we understand your expertise, your niche, you're allowed to write within this box. So you could write business within this box and th- you know that's underwriting guidelines, right? Mm-hmm. And so if there's anything outside of that box, it either needs to be declined or referred to the insurance company to give the okay, the stamp of approval. So a lot of the markets within the cannabis space are MGAs because it is very specialized Mm. and it makes more sense for insurance companies to do that, A, to diversify and B, they just don't have the bandwidth or the acumen a lot of times to get into these more emerging industries or emerging product lines. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I mean, there's just a ton of nuances as it relates to cannabis. Um, And I think carriers early on that didn't really fully understand that tried to write business early on got burned, like a good amount of them got burned. And then there needed to be like actual experience and expertise in the space. And I mean, we even see it with um, on-site inspections and and now that a, a lot of things are being like mandated, carriers are getting 
a little bit more sophisticated. It's definitely a balancing act because you don't want to be like from the carrier perspective. And like when we're working with markets, you don't want to be too difficult to work with either, right? Ask a billion questions. Um, but you also have to do your proper due diligence to make sure that you understand the risk. So like that's a, a large amount of our time, honestly, is spent on the data gathering portion. Yeah. I mean, because I remember having, I've had a few insurance conversations on the podcast several years ago and yep. just like the app, applications in general are long for a, an interesting business. And I'm thinking outside of cannabis, like I spent a long time working with an experiential education one on insurance. I was just like, wow, this is crazy how much they ask, but cannabis. And I'm imagining, yeah. um, psychedelics as well are probably like the the application itself is so long like is it equivalent to a state application the requirements because they're asking similar stuff they're asking like for inventory they're i'm imagining security like how does that whole process look yeah great question um and it, it is very labor intensive and, and i think another challenge often too is that Within the applications, there's different business units that have access to that information. So like if I have one point of contact, they may need to reach out to four or five people within the business to get answers to specific questions, right? Um, so that invokes yeah. you know additional challenge. But we actually, we, we understand that pain point completely. Um, and, and we actually built um, a web-based application called app.alfaroot.com. And, and you go in. You basically, you know, check off your type of operations, you know, what coverages you're looking for. We also provide like a risk assessment. So for instance, if they put, you know, we have 20 employees, we would recommend certain coverages like workers comp, employment oh, practice. I love it. So helping guide people for certain lines of coverage that they may not have otherwise known about. Um, but at the end of the day, that individual has the ability to check off and create applications for what they're specifically looking for. And the a big challenge with a lot of these apps too, is that it covers so many different verticals within yes. the cannabis industry, right? And like the cannabis supply chain, right? So mm -hmm. there'll be a whole page for manufacturing, a whole page for retail, a whole page for cultivation, distribution, right? And so if you only do one portion of that supply chain, mm -hmm. it still is just like, it's overwhelming when you see a 25 page application, yeah. right? And yeah. so we completely understood that. And so within our app, it's dynamic. So if you choose a specific type of vertical within mm -hmm. the supply chain, it only preps the questions that are applicable for that specific, so good. Um, specific business model. So and what's also great about it is year over year, all the data is stored so that we're then able to at renewal say, hey, here's your last year's application. Please check off additional you know, coverages that you may want to look at or just update these bullet points and resubmit. Um, because to your point, the application process and the data gathering can be very challenging, especially for you know, some of these multi-state operators that we work with that have locations in several states several different type of assets. Um, and, you know, if they have location, if they have, you know, upwards of 10 to 15 locations, like mm -hmm. we need underwriting information on every single one of those locations. So um, the data gathering a lot of times can be very challenging. Um, 
and we try to really make it as seamless as possible, like with our application, you know, because we historically have been using PDFs more to other retail brokers and, you know, really saw it as a pain point and wanted to create a one-stop, you know, client management system. Yes. Um, It's all about that though. I mean, because I I was one of the areas I'm curious about is you think about all of these very new industries and there's a lot of change and finance typically there's a lot of fintech but a lot of the accounting stuff really hasn't changed in a way that you would think it would have with the year that we're in and i was curious just about the insurance industry as a whole like what how how long have you been in it and to me it seems like you kind of innovate your team innovated something and is kind of trying to disrupt it how is the insurance industry as a whole in terms of of disruption. Yeah, I think I think insurance in general is probably one is like the most archaic, yes. old, slow, boring industries there is, right? And so like when you're talking about emerging industries and emerging risk, like it's really challenging a lot of times mm-hmm. for these carriers to properly understand, you know, the scope of the risk in the business model. And at the end of the day, like that is truly our role mm-hmm. as an extension of our client to properly articulate and sell the risk to our carrier partners, right? Like that is, you know, it, it's not just taking the application and flipping it over and just sending it to the carrier. It's having those conversations and, you know, providing them guidelines and advocating for our clients, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of our stuff too is just educating our carrier partners on the different nuances and risks and issues that our clients are facing, right? And being that advocate for our clients. Um, But yeah, I mean, in general, like cannabis aside, other industries like psychedelics, crypto, Mm -hmm. you know, our sister company that we actually spun out from, Mm -hmm. Founding Shield, focuses on emerging industries. So they work with gig economy businesses, um, a lot of software as a service, fintech, crypto, so on and so Mm -hmm. forth. And so we were actually, you know, cannabis was one area of focus for Founder Shield. And my partner and I, Isaac, were early stage employees at Founder Shield, mm-hmm. um, worked and helped build that business unit, and then spun out Alpha Root to specifically focus on the cannabis and psychedelics. So we've been working in emerging industries, you know, for the last decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and truthfully, cannabis since 2012, when it became, you know, rec in, in Colorado. Um, and so We've had a lot of experience. It's constantly changing. I think mm-hmm. that's a really important reason why carriers and you know you're starting to see more and more brokers like focus in the space because there's it's constantly changing. There's new guidelines, new states coming online, um, and that comes with all of these different types of insurance requirements and guidelines to adhere to. So there's just a big education component for cannabis specifically in any emerging industry that's continuing to develop. Um, and when you're trying to apply a very old archaic industry like insurance, it could be challenging at times. Um, but I think that's what makes it exciting. And I, you know, I truthfully love the clients that we work with, love the industry that we work in. Um, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, happy that we could provide, you know, that advocacy that our clients need with our, you know, insurance carrier partners. Yeah, absolutely. What about uh, Delta 8? 
How's that? Has Was that like a big like wrench, like put into the yeah. mix, just trying to, because it's like, that's where I'm just trying to think about like the new things to keep up to date with. Like, okay, states have regulation, you have to keep up with the new regulation, but then the industry as a whole, like there's new molecules, there's new products, like there's all these things that aren't just like THC anymore. Is that, how do you even handle that i mean it's the end it's your industry insurance that needs to handle it but who is providing that guidance yeah it's it's interesting you know you would think like thc marijuana would be the hardest um businesses to underwrite out of like the cannabis hemp and you know entire realistically it's probably the easiest one because of the compliance and Mm. legal component that they have to go through right so the challenge with delta a product is like it's typically not lab tested right um there's not a ton of guidelines on it so a lot of carriers will altogether exclude delta eight you know Mm -hmm. specifically um and even cbd because at times you know depending on the type of cbd whether it's topical ingestible um poses challenges because it's not as regulated as cannabis. Um, And so I think there's a catch 22 where being highly regulated is definitely a challenge for, you know, cannabis operators and plant touching businesses. Mm -hmm. However, it makes them more favorable from a risk management perspective because they have all these additional hoops to go through. Yeah. Um, whereas some of those like other molecules that you had mentioned, it still like remains to be seen. And it really just depends on what guidelines are you doing internally? What's your testing protocols? How are you producing the product? You know, what's your track record? You know, what type of disclosures are you putting on your, um, your labels, like Mm -hmm. people make a lot of different, uh, claims, you know, that don't have medical foundation, right? Like you can't say, you know, take this CBD product and it will, you know, help you sleep eight to 10 hours a night or, you know, cure your back pain. Like you can't make those claims. Um, and, and any carrier is not going to really write that business. If you are making those claims without medical, um, foundation, behind it. So those other molecules, the best way to phrase it is like, it really depends. It depends on the operator, but Mm -hmm. I would say they're viewed less favorably because of the, like how much more widely accepted, like the barrier to entry into those markets is much lower, right? When you're talking about limited license states for plant touching operators, like those are being awarded typically to the most sound businesses that have, you know, great business plans, put together the licensing application, you know, go through the proper testing. So, you know, those companies, you know, the, the barrier to entry in that market is much higher typically. Right. Um, whereas in, in other molecules and other products, it's, it's not the case, which can be challenging for, you know, carriers to, to wrap their head around. If that yeah. makes sense. No, it makes sense. And I think it just, it just shows how dynamic this space is and how 
in line, you almost have to have this relationship with a carrier that's a little bit more than that annual like renewal. Because yeah. one other question I had is, is there validation to a lot of this stuff? Because you can say something on an application, but you know, how do you, you know, in general, not, yeah, in general, like, how do you validate do you and do your due diligence as an insurance broker to make sure that, you know, what is it? Are there ever, I mean, if there was a claim, obviously you might go on site, but pre-claim, like just to validate, yeah. is there a due diligence that goes beyond just looking at the application? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like every carrier pretty much will request a um, on-site inspection for okay. like anybody with physical operations. Um, that's good. So, but normally that's going to be post-binding, mm. which can be challenging. So like, Obviously, carriers quote on the application because you're making representations and warranties. So, like that's what they are quoting off of that, yeah. right? And if it is not what is indicated on the application when they do their on-site inspection, it could be a challenge down the road. And I think it's all about transparency, like really. And it's just about you know making sure that our clients and insureds feel comfortable to share all of that data that we can then properly articulate and relay to our carrier partners. So like in the event of a claim, there's no gray area or issues where like, oh, well, that wasn't disclosed, right? You know, it's asking all the proper questions for some of our larger clients will do on-site visits. Um, We have like relationships with risk management firms that are, you know, outside third parties that will come in, look at security protocols. Um, They'll look at, the different um, safety protocols that you have, like OSHA compliance um, mm-hmm. for workers' compensation. So there are a lot of uh, additional layers. And like I said, right, like insurance is one form of risk management. It's not the end-all be-all. It's the other stuff that really is truthfully important because that's what's mitigating the exposure for a claim. Right? And if you're- Completely agree. Stuff, you're doing the right stuff. You're going to get more favorable terms from an insurance perspective, right? Because a carrier feels more comfortable, right? And so um, that relationship is very heavy and very important. Um, I think sometimes cannabis companies and you know just the industry in general, because of the price point and understood are, are very price conscious, I think it's important to educate them why building relationships with certain brokers and carriers is important, right? And not just constantly looking, okay, what's the next, you know, cheapest thing that I can get my hands on? Um, yeah. One, you know, it's not a great look for companies in the market if they're constantly shopping around and carriers want to build long lasting relationships with our clients. Um, mm-hmm. And two, there's a big misnomer that you need multiple brokers to get multiple quotes. It's not the case, right? Right. Like if you're like, you know, with us, right. We have appointments with all the markets that write cannabis. We work with Mm -hmm. wholesalers to get access to additional carriers. So like we can get any sort of program that a cannabis company needs, you know, and get five different quotes from five different carriers. But I think there's a little bit of a misnomer that they need to you know shop around and I shop around. So I think creating that level of trust and transparency is just really important on both sides of the coin. Um, yeah. coming from the carrier side, 
from our side and insurance. And I, and I do understand sometimes, you know, they're look like they're like, Hey, how do I know that this is the, the best option for me? Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the hard thing. But I think from an operator perspective, it's really nice because having a trusted network of advisors is really important in this space and being able to leverage a partner that's in insurance, that's seen multiple other businesses in different states that can also just give guidance, I think is really important uh, instead of more being like a new a nuisance. I, I think that most listeners would kill me if I didn't ask this question. And I know the answer. I have a feeling I know the answer. I hope I'm wrong. Is like budgeting. You know, yeah. How do we budget for insurance with the caveat of you know, every business is different. You might have multiple form, multiple lines, but, you know, a lot of people might think, wow, maybe I've actually, I'm, I'm not well insured. I might need to, you know, increase my insurance. So like what, how does a business even budget for this? Yeah, I, I think I think uh, you think the answer is going to be, it depends. Um, and yeah. It, it does, right. Like. And and I'll give you an example, like in multiple reasons why, right? So like a company that has like retail operations that, you know, is the exact same carbon copy, you know, but at a different location, one's doing $10 million in revenue and one's doing a million dollars in revenue, like their product liability policy, mm -hmm. the way that these, you know, a lot of policies are, let me backtrack. The way that carriers get to the end premium is they take a rating basis and then they multiply that out by a specified rate. As your rating okay. basis increases, your premium is going to likely increase, but your actual rate, which is the, the core component, is going to decrease, right? So what I mean by that is, let's say you have those two businesses, one's doing $10 million a year, one's doing a million dollars. The one that's doing $10 million is going to be paying more in general for general liability, product liability. However, maybe their rate per thousand of revenue is $1.50. Whereas the business that's doing a million dollars in revenue, they're going to pay less for insurance. However, their rate is going to be $3 per thousand of revenue. So that's really beneficial for companies that are continuing to scale and making sure that they're accurately being represented because like what we've seen sometime is companies will, you know, or brokers will represent, you know, Hey, they're only planning to do 5 million. And so then you lock in that rate for $5 million, which could be, let's call it like $2 and 50 cents per thousand of revenue. Okay. However, if the business actually does $10 million, the policy is going to get audited, right? Yep. And you're going to end up owing that delta of additional $5 million in revenue that you generated. However, it's going to be assessed at the $2.50 rate instead of $1.50, right? So like, that's why it's important to properly, and, and we always say to like, be on the conservative side, but be mm -hmm. realistic. In yeah. Like when you're talking to, you know, whomever your broker is, is like be conservative, but be realistic because these policies are a lot of times are one way auditable, meaning that if you over project, like let's say you say you're going to do $20 yeah. million and you only do 10, the carrier is not going to give you money back. That's right? unfortunate. That's 
but, it's unfortunate, but so so some so way. some policies like workers' compensation mm-hmm. are typically two-way auditable, but um, general liability, product liability, most of the time are going to be one way. Um, but we always like always recommend our insurance, like, hey, look, like we're not your investors, like we're like we want you to be on the more conservative side. Yeah. If you have to pay a little bit more at the end of the year because of audit, it's a good problem to have, right? Mm-hmm. But you also don't want to grossly under project to lower your premium on the front end, but then get crushed at audit. So it's a fine balance. Um, but I would say, you know, it just, it, it really just depends. Cause like even, even on the property side, right? Like yeah, it's going to be maybe based give, maybe two, maybe, total insurable value. So like, you exactly, know, you can exactly like the property and, value. Yeah. What if you could just give one example, uh, dispensary, 10 million, single state, product liability, whatever you believe the insurance, it seems to be that one. And then we can maybe just do a 10,000 square foot cultivation as another one. I would say, I would say the dispensary, um, in that case, um, you know, like let's say in addition okay. to that threshold, they have like, you know, $1.5 million in, uh, property and mm-hmm. total insurable value, you know, from the building and then the contents and improvements and betterments, um, probably looking at around like 30 K okay. in premium on an annual basis, like plus or minus, I would say, um, depends on the state, depends on where you're located, yeah. you know. For instance, like theft coverage in in certain areas are you know challenging depending on where you're based. So there's a lot of factors, but I would say like 30k there for okay. general liability, product liability, property, okay. like that core package. Workers' compensation, you know, do you have delivery? Um, mm-hmm. is, is definitely another component, but I would say in that 15k mark, and then if you've raised capital. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe two to three million dollars in outside funding, probably looking at you know a DNO program mm-hmm. that's like 15 to 20k for a million dollars in premium at a minimum. Um so I I mean I, you know that's great. No, but that's great because it gives some you know, like, idea. Yeah, like for like like 50k for mm-hmm. like all those lines of coverage, but it really, like I said, it just depends and and yeah. That's where it comes down to working with those individuals on like on an individual basis on those like operators and saying like, what are your goals? What are you most worried about? You know, um, and how can we help mitigate exposure as much as possible, given the budget that you have? Yeah. Um, For a 10,000 square foot, you know, cultivator. um, Indoor. Indoor let's say maybe they own the building too. And it's like, you know, $3 million in total insurable value mm-hmm. um, and the finished stock and things like that. Maybe a little higher on the general liability and property, maybe like 35 to 40, just, it really depends on the total insurable value. Okay. Um, and then the, the DNO is going to be somewhere the 15 to 20 workers comp is going to be more expensive because Workers' comp is for employee injuries on the job, right? So who has a bigger likelihood of getting injured on the job? A a bud tender that's, you know, taking orders and, you know, having conversations with insureds or an employee that's working at a cultivation using scissors to trim bud, 
you know, and doing a lot of like manual labor, lifting heavy machinery, right? So workers comp is going to be more expensive, you know, 20 to 30 K for those uh, cultivators, I would say, depending on, and that's, and workers comp is going to be based off of payroll as the main uh, form of a rating basis. So a lot of it is like, it really depends at the end of the day. Oh God, yes. Thank you for even like giving us some numbers. No, it's so good because it always does vary. That's why I was like, I know I probably say, Hey, I I really don't know. Each case is different, but even giving like a range based off of the revenue, based off of the, that type of business, it's really appreciated. Yeah. One more question before I ask you about New York startups, right? There's this whole delay of like, Oh, I'm going to apply for the license. I'm actually awarded the license. I haven't even started doing anything at what point to businesses, but they've already created the legal entity. They're already, you know, incurring expenses, yeah. all that stuff. At what point do you recommend businesses in that true startup phase, no revenue, no sales, but obviously moving towards that, start talking with an insurance provider. Before they submit their application. For it's a requ- okay. Can you so explain re- a little bit more why? Yeah. So the reasoning being is like a lot of states, what they'll have is basically check a box for insurance. They ask you like, what are you going to do in the event that you are awarded a license, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What's your plan for insurance? Obviously, you don't want to be buying insurance policies because you don't even actually have like the physical location, the infrastructure to really like get a quote. However, what we provide a lot of companies within the application phase is like a letter of intent stating that upon being awarded a valid license by you know the state of Nevada, state of New York, whatever it is, we will be able to satisfy the relevant insurance requirements, you know, by using Alpha Root as our insurance broker, right? And then we're basically attesting that we will be able to place coverage for general liability, product liability, property, workers comp, so on and so forth for those companies. So, and what we could do too, is like just through that exercise that we went through, right? Is, okay, what are your goals and what are your plans for operating? What do you think like from a business perspective? And we can give them rough costs, so that if they're raising capital as they're going through the application process, they can at least build that into their model moving forward, right? Um, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's because it's so, it's building the relationship and it's also giving them some guidance, yeah. especially during that phase. If they're awarded, they're going to be pitching, probably raising some form of capital and then being able to know the budget, I think, ahead of time also is good. Yeah, especially in like conditional license states mm-hmm. where they're like, you need to get ramped up by... X amount of time after the license is issued, just trying to get like certain things squared away ahead of time. Yeah. Are, you know, going to be really helpful for companies so that when they are issued a license, it's like, okay, you know, Alpha, like this is the license. We have the real estate, you know, identified. Mm-hmm. What are the next steps? And then we yeah. can just immediately go from there. Um, but that's what I would say is the best time. Like, Earlier, the better, just to get an understanding of what your needs are, what the costs are going to be, you know, because like I said, like, I think we, you know, my business partner, Isaac and I are are very entrepreneurial as well. And so we Mm -hmm. look at what we do, right. And how that impacts not only the risk management, but business in general from like Mm -hmm. cash flow. how do you model? Right. And, you know, insurance for a lot of businesses can be a sizable expense. So it's important for them to understand you know, what that's going to be moving forward as they yeah. operate so that they can account for it and aren't scrambling 
at the end, you know, and and trying to grab funds from another area sales that they were yeah so no i think it's really really important okay we don't have much time left but i see that and i remember you're from new york and i see the lovely new york poster and i know new york is just like lighting up with everything about cannabis what is going on right now how's the industry unfolding and like give us a little update on on that because you're kind of you're in it yeah. Um, I, well, I live in Chelsea, so I'm like right in the heart of Manhattan. And uh, it's really interesting market right now. I can go across the street to mm-hmm. two different bodegas and mm-hmm. get any sort of cannabis that I uh, that I want. What? Any, anything. Pre-rolls, they have jars that are sitting there. Like nobody's hiding it. And a lot of it is like some more of the gifting model that like mm-hmm. DC originally did. Mm-hmm. When they rolled out, so essentially, like, hey, you buy a Gator, like a sixty dollar Gatorade, and we gift you an eighth, right? Wow. Um, but it, it's retail. how long? When did this start, though? Has this always been the case, or has it uh, been okay? When did thing, that once start? Once it went wreck, once it okay. went wreck, and that you're able to, because it's this interesting caveat, right? Like you're able to have a certain amount of flour yeah. on your person, but there's no legal framework to actually sell it. So yeah. they're like gifting it. But it's super blatant. Wow. And, you know, recently there was about like 10 trucks mm-hmm. that were 10 trucks that were uh, seized and, you know, impounded for like selling cannabis illegally. Wow. But like that was it. I mean, there, like when I say there are hundreds of bodegas in New York right now where you can buy any sort of cannabis product, like I'm not kidding. Um, wow. So I think retailers who are just trying to compete with the legacy market. It's going to be really interesting what they do with that. Market. Yes. Because I will, I'm like, Oh my gosh. Legacy they, operators. Do they even a lot have of them like aren't A lot of them aren't like true legacy operators. Okay. Are they coming from either out of state then? And just like pushing yeah, products? I don't know. Or? Like, it's they're existing like bodegas. Like, I don't know yeah. if you've ever been like New York city, like the bodega where you, I don't know, you get, I have been, but I never have been to a bodega. So I'm like, what is this? Yeah, they, like, like, they it's- sell like paraphernalia. You get like, you know, M&Ms, chips, Gatorade, right? You know. Okay. So they're like tobacco stores in Europe, maybe. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. But now they, they're they okay. selling every single type of cannabis product that you can imagine. Wow. Like branded cannabis that you could like maybe oh, recognize? Yeah. So wow. I don't know if they're purchasing the, ca- like if they're purchasing the branding and just like putting their own product in. Um, oh my God, this is uh, wild. Yeah. I mean, even too, like you can go to the dispensary and they like pre-roll their own pre-rolls like in-house, which is obviously, yeah. you know, like, oh, and- so like, yes. that's going to be just like the interesting part, but I think New York has a really cool opportunity with like mm-hmm. creating experiences, um, mm-hmm. both from a retail perspective and like consumption lounges, but yeah. it's going to be really challenging for, to compete with the guys that are selling to, you know, consumers yeah. that have been buying weed in New York for the last decade, you know, those means. Right. And so that's going to be challenging. I think for like, you know, we say like the Upper East Side mom, the kind of curious, um, I think yeah. is like a really great market for New York and creating cool retail experiences yes. um, for like people that are tourists and like to do shopping, 
you know, I think there's a, a great opportunity there. Um, going to be, you know, remains to be seen what they do with like the, the gray market, you know, right now where it stands for those that are selling outside of like the legal framework, but you know, nothing's really being done right now. Yeah. Well, that's what it seems like. I, I have to have some more people on just to talk about New York, but I'm curious how many legal dispensaries are there? And are they, so it's like medical and adult use since it is rec. Well, only so in like, New York, in New York, there's only uh, medical right now. Oh, there's it's only medical. medical. Yeah. So, okay. so, you're not allowed so to be, yeah, so you're not allowed to be vertically integrated in New York unless okay. you've been grandfathered in because you were previously vertically integrated as medical. So like those companies like MedMen, Air Wellness, mm-hmm. you know, GTI, um, are like have a leg up on their competition because they can be vertically integrated. Um, mm-hmm. The first 100 retail licenses are going to um, applicants that have been affected by the war on drugs. So arrested for a nonviolent cannabis crime, it has to be in the state of New York or have had an immediate family member that's been arrested for a cannabis related offense. So um, and they haven't issued any specific licenses. They just started collecting applications, I believe, for retail. Um, mm-hmm. On the cultivation side, the first like conditional licenses went to hemp operators that are converting to uh, to selling cannabis. Um, wow. Okay. So there's a lot of moving parts. There's no yeah. real recreational cannabis in in New York, to to my knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. It's still medical, um, and it's just like a lot of markets. There's just a lot of bureaucracy and, you know, uh, yeah. Well, I was moving and, you know, the, it's important though, because you really, you don't want to mess up like social equity and, and other parts of, you know, the rollout, like other States have had. Yeah. However, you also don't want to get, you know, you know, I always say like, you, you don't want perfect to get in the way of great. Right. Exactly. Totally. Totally. Get everything dialed in before you like roll out a program, you know, and then it's years have gone by. So yeah, it's a very delicate balance. It is. Is there good leadership in terms of the government or? I mean, a lot of the bigger firms too, you know, like those MSOs have, you know, are, are involved in those conversations. We've had conversations with like state senators and um, you know, I really think it is like not having too many chefs in the kitchen um, and not letting perfect get in the way of great um, yeah. in order to roll out a, a quality program in New York, hopefully learning from previous mistakes and not making yeah. the same ones. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, cannabis in it's general. It's exciting. Yeah. It's, it's exciting. It's, it's challenging from a regulatory perspective. So there's always going to be, these sort of nuances, um, at least for the f- foreseeable future. Um, but you know, New York's going to be in, a, you know, we're super excited being headquartered in New York, but, uh, definitely going to be a very interesting market, you know, and, and still a lot remains to be seen. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm excited to touch base with you about it just like in the next few months and just see, cause yeah, it's yeah, just wild. Sure. It's all, it's all, you hear all this stuff, but I'm like, God, it seems like there's a lot behind the scenes that really needs to be figured out. Okay, before we wrap up, I would love to ask you one final question of the speed round. Sure. 
If you are to give advice to somebody just getting started in this industry, what is that one piece of advice you would give? Um, that's really hard. You are dropping some nuggets. I was like, you've been dropping yeah, no, some really I, good I think, nuggets. I think, it, I think it really is just like understanding what you're getting into and the challenges that cannabis companies face. Um, and that it's very challenging. Um, you have to have relationships and it really is about your supply chain. Um, just like any like CPG company. Um, that's where we've seen the operators that are most successful and, you know, building a brand right now is just like, it's really challenging. And also just like the market right now in general is really challenging. Um, especially for companies trying to raise capital. So Mm -hmm. I would just say like, doing your full due diligence, like understanding different nuances, like, you know, for your perspective, right? Someone who's not in the cannabis industry may not understand what 280E is and how that impacts my business, right? And so all of those sort of things that are very specific to cannabis, I would just say it's important to educate yourself and make sure, you know, you fully understand what you're getting into, the nuances, you know, it's not... um, Cause there is that, like, you know, they call it the green rush, right? People are trying yes. to the space, um, but understanding there is a lot of competition, although it is a nascent industry, there's a ton of challenges mm-hmm. depending on what type of operator you are. It's very capital intensive. Um, and it's all about, you know, who you can trust and your partnerships and your supply chain. Yeah. Oh, great. Great stuff. And Eric, how can people find you? How can they learn more about working with you? All that stuff. Yeah, so they can uh, go to um, www.alfruit.com, um, you know, request uh, an, a meeting or, you know, a risk management audit. They can go directly to our um, online platform, app.alfruit.com. So it's app.alfruit.com. Um, or reach out to info at alfruit.com or myself, Eric, uh, at alfruit.com. And, you know, happy to have conversations and, you know, see how we can help anybody in the space. I think. We really try to add value to our clients outside of just insurance, additional risk management, introduction to investors, and mm-hmm. um, really try to be a member of the ecosystem and entrench ourselves and you know continue to add value to our clients outside of just you know purely placing policies. I can tell. I can tell. Well, I'm glad and thank you again for being on the show. Awesome. Well, thank you so much and, and really appreciate you having me and have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much for listening to this week's show. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this, leave us a five-star review. Make sure that you share this episode on your social media and tag us in the Instagram stories. You can find us wherever you go on social media. Just look up Cannabis Business Minds. Have an idea for the show or something that you want to talk about? Shoot us an email at podcast at cannabisbusinessminds.com.